0: Well, if you've been with us for the last several weeks or several months, really, you know that we've been in a series called Acts, the story of the church. And I love this story. It's a, I love stories, period. I love uh, books and movies and history. And the reason I love stories is because God is the best storyteller. He's the best author, right? And because of that, I'm just drawn to the beauty of the story that the author is telling And so we've been in this series, we've gone through the first five chapters, today we'll get into chapter six. Last time we talked about it, we uh, talked about the fact that God has been moving, right? He has been just exponential growth in the church. The Spirit of God is moving in Jerusalem. People who have been, uh, they're they're Israelites, they're Jewish, of a Jewish faith, they're supposed to be waiting on the Messiah, they didn't see him, right? And now by the Spirit of God and the, the preaching of Peter, they're beginning to see And the the moves, the miracles of the the apostles, they're beginning to see this was the Messiah, the coming to Jesus with exponential growth. God is causing that movement, right? Not those men. However, those men have a role to play in the story of God, just like you do, just like I do. We all have a a role to play. And the big question for us today, I'd love for you to leave here today going, hey, what's my role? God, what are you doing in me? What am I supposed to do for the mission of God? You're writing this story, and you've given us all gifts and abilities to be about uh, your work and your mission. What is my role? I'd love for us to leave here today with that. Well, we continue today in the the, uh, chapter 6 of Acts. And uh, I'm just thankful that the message of this text today is that God doesn't only use leaders, (laughs) right? Uh, People who you think know a whole lot maybe. These, I'll remind you of what it says. I think it was in Acts 4, it says these are common men, fishermen, right? And yet God's using them in tremendous ways. Um, he uses all of us. He uses all of us, and we're going to see that in this text. Let's look at the Word of God together, can we? Acts 6, verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. (laughs) You know, in this story, in these first few chapters, as I was thinking about this this week, I see two main things that are going on here, okay? It's very easy. Just read the first five or six chapters of Acts, and you see there's two main themes going on, right? The first is this. The first is this. God is moving and blessing his mission through these apostles, right? Exponential growth. Expon- and the city is changing. Critical mass, remember I spoke about critical mass was beginning to change. Just the feel, uh, the tenor in the city was changing. So God's moving. That's one thing that we can look at and we can know. The second is this. The enemy is moving against him. (laughs) We see it over and over again, not only now, but we see it in the early part of this story. Every time the Lord moves and begins to do something in, in mission or whatever the case he's doing, the enemy will come along, create a counterfeit, try to find some way to block him. But we know that Matthew 16 says the gates of hell will not what? prevail against it, the mission of God. So we know that he wins. We know that he is an all-powerful, amazing God. But the enemy's not happy about the movement that he sees. So he comes against the church. First point this morning is this. The enemy will always resist and disrupt the movement of God. He will always resist it and try to disrupt the movement of God. Always, count on it. You say, well, how do we, have we seen this in this story? Well, let me remind you of a few things, okay? You remember uh, Peter's preaching at Pentecost. 3,000 people come to know Jesus and then 3,000 people are baptized, right? It's beautiful. The Holy Spirit has, has literally just blown into the city like the sound of a, a mighty rushing wind, Scripture says. It's this beautiful moment in the church, growth, beginnings, and then we see in chapter 2 how this is really what the church is supposed to be like, walking life together, uh, being on mission together, doing meals together, sharing things in common. It's a beautiful picture of what the church ought to be, right? Right out of that scene, we see Peter and John going to the temple. And, they're, man, they're focused. They know that the Lord's going to use them. And they, they come upon a, a beggar who's crippled. And they heal the beggar, right? They heal him. And people start taking notice because this man is over 40, we know from Scripture, and he's been at that place begging for a long time. People know that he's crippled. And he's been healed. Like, they knew that he wasn't able to walk, and now he can. You can't deny God's movement. And what happens? They get thrown before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin says, what are you doing? By what power and authority do you think you can preach at the temple, right? And we see the first thing that the enemy has tried to come against the church, which is this, persecution. He wants to persecute the church. And so we see that continue, right? They kick them out, say, don't do this again. And, and Peter tells them, hey, listen, you do what you got to do. I'm going to do what I have to do, right? We're gonna, we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard and know. We will speak of Jesus. We will tell of his story. And so they do what? They go preach. They go back to the streets and they start preaching and healing people. And then they get thrown in prison, right? And the angel comes and releases them from prison. And after they get released from prison, the angel says, go back and preach. And they go back and preach. And then the Sanhedrin gets frustrated. Well, they go back and kind of capture them quietly because, remember, the feeling in the city has changed. Critical mass has changed. God is doing amazing work. Persecution is the first tactic of the enemy we see against the church. Well, then we see... The second thing that he does, you see, persecution is something that the enemy does from without, from the, uh, from the outside of the church. The second thing we see that the enemy tries to do in the church is he brings sin from within the church, right? And we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we know that what they were trying to do was fit in with a group of people. They wanted man's approval and not God's. It was more important that, that people accept them for being super religious Super spiritual in some way. And so they lie about a gift that they give. And it costs them their life. It costs them their life. So we see one uh, a tactic of the enemy from outside of the church, another tactic of the enemy from inside the church. Well, what does persecution cause in the church? You know what? It causes fear. And that's the, that's the goal of the enemy. If I can make the church afraid, then they'll stop speaking the name of Jesus right? Well, the sin within the church also caused fear, a different kind of fear though, didn't it? It was a purifying fear. It was a fear of a holy God, and it was a good fear. And it caused the church to sit back and say, we need to be authentic. When we speak, when we live, when we give, Lord, help us to do that from what's real in our lives. It was an authentic, good fear. Well, here's the third thing we're seeing in this text this morning, is also within the church, <laughs> it's dissension, it's questions about the organization, and even worse than those things, because sometimes dissension's good, like we see in this case. But even worse than that, we see an awful thing in the church. Something that we see heartbreakingly this day in the church we see prejudice. We see prejudice. Now, I don't know about you, but this week has been a very difficult week for our country. I spoke a little to it last Sunday. I was watching something. It was supposed to be something that was funny. It was a little clip from Saturday Night Live. I thought maybe I could get a little giggle in on something. And I ended up crying. <laughs> I ended up watching this and thought, Lord, is this is where our country has come. This is where we are. I'm just, it just broke my heart, and I just began to weep. For our country, our country is so divided. And trust me, when the country is divided, the church is divided. And I have, you know, I've got several friends on social media platforms, many of which I would like to unfollow. But I don't because just because I don't agree with them necessarily 100% doesn't mean I don't love them. And it doesn't mean that I can't learn from them. So I try to pray for them and I just withhold the with restraint. I try to not unfollow certain people. Some people drive me crazy. But there is dissension in the church. And it breaks my heart. And the beauty of the word of God is that it will speak to everything we need to be spoken to, won't it? You know, it heals. It is the very word of the living God. And today we get to look at how the early church dealt with this issue of prejudice. So persecution, sin inside the church, and then prejudice in the church. Let's look at how the apostles dealt with this. Now, when we look at the church, now i got to remind you, the church was growing so fast, like crazy fast. This is just a few weeks into the, really the birth of the early church, and a lot of theologians believe that they were about 20,000 people. A few weeks. You see, Dr. Luke, in his uh, incessant ability to give us details, which is awesome, He's also the historian. He told us there was 3,000 people that came to know the Lord and joined the church at Pentecost. There were another 2,000 that came to know the Lord as a result of the healing of the crippled man at the temple, right? 5,000 there. Well, if they're married, that's 10,000. If they have any kids, we're talking fifteen to 25,000 people in just a few weeks. And anything that grows, any organization, any church, anything that grows in that type of speed, is going to run into some issues, won't it? It's not ready for that type of growth. It's not ready for that type of uh, situation. All the systems aren't worked out yet, and that's what we see. Things begin to fall through the crack, and worse yet, people begin to fall through. It's hard to give oversight. It's hard to make disciples. You see, a lot of people have come to know Jesus, but those are um, people who've been forgiven. They haven't been sanctified just yet. And so they're bringing sins from outside the church right into the church, aren't they? Because they haven't been taught. They haven't been uh, discipled yet. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the church and ministry in general is messy. Did you notice that? If you've been inside a church or, or, or inside the ministry aspect to see it all, man, it's messy. And you know what? It should be. If you go to a church, if you've been to a church, and it is pristine, there's no one walking in that church that looks like they just came off the street or maybe they, they have don't have as much as somebody else or they just they're different or maybe the service just goes off without a hitch or it's just there's absolutely nothing it's almost it's strange how perfect it is i'm not sure that that's the best representation of a church that's growing we got stuff happening all the time right we we don't half the time we forget offering so we mess up all the time and i will say this we're growing Praise God, we're growing. We, we started, Lori and I came back in October, not even 11 months ago. Our church has tripled in 11 months. We are caring for you. Yeah, praise the Lord. We don't, we don't clap because of, of something that somebody's done. Again, just as this word says, this is a movement of God. Man has nothing to do with man, right? So God is doing a work. He is causing a mission. He is blessing his mission. We're caring for about 175 people right now at, at South City. Uh, and as a result, we're running into some systems issues. <laughs> we're running into some things falling through the cracks, and we're trying to shore up where some needs are with leadership and leaders. And so you'll hear more about that in just a little bit. But God is growing. God is doing the work. Now let's take a look here for a second. Who are these people that are being overlooked? The Bible says they are Hellenistic Hellenists and their widows. What does that mean? Who are they? Well, you remember back a little while ago we taught on uh, the last phrase in our vision statement that says, for the good of the city. And I used a scripture reference from uh, Jeremiah. And I talked about, you know, uh, Babylon came into Israel and they took back the best of the best. Leaders, they took back artisans, craftsmen, uh, all these great people, thousands of people end up in Babylon. Babylon. Well, over the centuries, those Jews retained their faith, but their culture changed, which was exactly the plan of Babylon, right? To change for them to forget their culture. But by God's grace, they remembered their faith. And so they kind of sift out through the known world and some of those people end up uh, as what we call Hellenists. They they speak Greek. They may not even speak Aramaic or Hebrew anymore. But what they look like, is they look like Greeks. So their culture is different than the Jews. Their language is different than the Jews. Everything about them looks different, feels different. And guess who the Jews didn't like? The Greeks. So even though they looked like Greeks, they had a faith, a Jewish faith. So what happens is they come in to celebrate Passover, to come celebrate Pentecost. The Lord begins to move. He's doing this movement and they get swept up in this beautiful moment of God doing what only God can do, right? And so they stay, and then what do we do? We bring sin from outside the church right into the church, which included, in this case, prejudice. So these leaders of some kind are supposed to be handing out food distribution, and they get to the Hellenist widows, and they just overlook. They pass them over. Because of prejudice. It's an awful thing. Uh, the Hellenists would have been like second-class citizens to the Jews. But the beautiful thing that we see, the apostles are going to uh, deal with this in an, a genius way. And as leaders, if you're a leader of anything, and I hope most of you are, you need, we need to learn from this lesson of leadership that we're going to see today. The apostles show us this. Everyone, I'm speaking to all of us, Everyone has a role to play. Every single person has a role to play. Let's look at it, Acts 6, 2. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now just think about this. They summoned the whole group. Hey, we're going to just call a quick meeting together of 20,000 people. Can you imagine that? It just frightens me even thinking about it. I've been to some big meetings. That's a big meeting. But yet they wanted the voice of the entire congregation, and they wanted to signal the turn. That's a phrase Daryl uses all the time, and I love it. They wanted to signal the turn that there was some organization coming, and they wanted them to be aware of it. And you know what else? They went to deal with the problem head on. They went to deal with the problem head on. And it's not that the disciples weren't willing to serve. They had been serving. But they realized, you know what, if we continue to do some of these things, we can't do the main thing that God has called us to do, which is to preach and to pray. That's the main thing he wants us to do, and we're responsible to do it. And so we need others to lead. We need others to serve so that we can focus on the main thing. I, I sometimes help at our food pantry, which, by the way, is going to take place tomorrow night. And if you want to come help, we actually need some help tomorrow night. Come about 5 o'clock, and we'll feed people about 6. We'll give them groceries. There are times at food pantry I'm over there, I'm helping with the stuff, I'm loading the deal, and we're putting food in the baskets, and it's it's awesome. And there are other times where I can only go do a, a 30 minutes or something and I have to leave. And I always feel like, oh, I wish I could be over there helping. But there are times where I have to say, you know what? I need to do the thing that is most important for me to do right now. That's exactly what these apostles are doing. The most important thing for us to focus on is the ministry of the Word of God. So the church begins to grow. Additional leadership is needed, and they had to focus on the main thing. Now, listen, this is something that I thought was interesting, and it really changes my perspective on this story. The word table in this text. Let me read read the text again. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It sounds kind of menial, doesn't it? We can't serve tables. But I want you to know, in the original language, the word table doesn't just denote serving food and, and drink okay? There's also a financial component that I didn't know about. And so in other words, it changes this whole thing because this is actually a very important job. It's physical care of people and it's financial oversight for people. That's a big deal. This changes this whole story for me. This goes from them being waiters to really caretakers of homes and lives. Okay? In other words, why would it be necessary to have integrity and all these things for them to hand out food? Let's keep reading, can't we? And I'll, and I'll get into that a second more. Acts 6, 3-6. through Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them. This is what I think happened, and I'll tell you why I think it in just a minute. You've got fifteen, twenty, twenty-two. You got a big group, thousand people, right? It says. The brothers went to them and said, pick out from among you. Now, who is you? Is it 20,000 people? I, I don't think so. I think in the wisdom and the brilliance of this moment, the apostles went to the Hellenists. I think they went to where the issue was. They went right to where the problem was, the people who were most offended, and they said, pick from among you. Seven, right? Seven men, no, from among you. So they need to be believers in Jesus, and I think there's a good chance they were Hellenists. Why do I think that? Well, all seven of these men had Greek names. All seven, right? They need to have a good reputation, which means they need to have integrity and be above reproach. They need to be trusted with large sums of money. They need to be full of uh, the Spirit. And wisdom, what does that mean? That means that their lives need to be controlled by the Spirit. They don't just need to say that they know God. Their lives need to prove that they know God. We could learn from that, couldn't we? Not just what we say, but that our lives prove what we say. And they need to have wisdom. Why do they need wisdom? Because when it comes to everyday uh, care, whether it be physical care, financial care, these men are going to need great wisdom, right? Right? Because that sin that we bring from outside the church, inside the church is going to be happening with families and people needing money and food. And we need that same wisdom today. And then we see this. The approval from the whole group of disciples is given. Do do you see what beautiful unity that is? There's There's an accusation, not just an accusation. There is a very real sense of prejudice going on. And the apostles go right at the issue to the people offended, to the people hurt. And they give them oversight, money. They give them the ability to lead and raise them up. And you know what's interesting? We don't hear of another problem from the Hellenists. The problem is squashed. It's over. It's ended. In such a beautiful way that now the church, the whole church, gives approval and says, let's keep going. And the enemy's like, oh, dang it. Right, The enemy wanted to see this shut down the church or be a roadblock, and it wasn't. Through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the love and care of these apostles, we see this taken care of. And then we see something interesting here. It says that they're brought down before the apostles, these seven men, and they lay their hands on them and they pray for them. Now, you know what's interesting? This is the first time we see this happen. Isn't that neat? Again, I love history. Very often, uh, we bring people to the front of the church. We lay our hands on them. We pray over them. Do you know what we're saying? The same thing they were saying, which is this. What you're doing up here is the fact that you have significance. There is something significant that you're going to do, and we as a church approve and affirm what God is doing in you. We lay our hands on you, and we pray for you. And we send you out. It's the same thing they did, and this is the first time we see it happening in Scripture in the, in the early church. Now, the move of the organization, uh, this new piece of organization that's taking place in the church, it helps free the apostles to do what's the main thing, right? Focus on the word, praying, focus on the ministry of God. Now, listen, (laughs) I couldn't help but look at this this week and see so many parallels with where we are as a church. So many. Um, Not quite 20,000 yet, but you guys keep showing up, all right? Uh, Maybe next week. But I see, uh, I see issues coming up with us. Growth causes problems. I'm, I'm not really a gardener, so I won't um, disappoint the real gardeners in the audience and call myself a gardener. I have a little garden, a little raised bed, and uh, I love it when the first of the season happens because I plant, my st- I plant way too much stuff in my little space because I want a million things coming out of it. But I plant all this stuff in there, and it looks awesome, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I feel really good about myself. Though I probably spent so much more money than just going to the grocery store and getting some tomatoes. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is. Anyway, it begins to grow, and I begin to realize there's problems when things begin to grow. Animals begin to come and get stuff, and I just, it just drives me nuts. And then I begin, what's worse is for me anyway, and I probably should tend to it a little bit more, the thing just goes crazy. The garden just gets overgrown, and I'm like looking from inside the house under the you know, the blinds, like, is there, are there some, I'm sure there's some jungle animals in there because this is overgrown and crazy. Things get, issues begin to happen when things grow, right? And we got to deal with them. Well, one of the things for us is this. You may know, and, and Larry was up here. I love Larry. I love you too, brother. And I love what God is doing in you. God is doing a work in Larry. And I'm so excited about that and what he's doing with LSY. We love and support LSY. 250 kids, 80 kids on the waiting list. I told him this last summer, and I believe in faith one day we'll be able to say this. I don't want any kids on the waiting list, you know? One day we won't have any kids on the waiting list, Lord willing. Larry's doing a great job with L.S.Y. Well, we want to be a blessing to our community. And so last year we got to meet a gentleman by the name of Alberto Blanco, And he's a soccer coach. Sweet little man. I got to share Jesus with him and his two boys. We baptized all three of them in our baptistry last year, remember? You say, well, we don't see him very much. Well, the reason we don't see him very much is because his main working day is Sunday mornings. And he hates it because he wants to be here. He wants his family to be here. And one of the things Jerry and I started noticing is, wow, we've got got to make disciples of the people that the Lord has given us. But the elephant in the room is I don't speak Spanish, and Alberto doesn't speak very good English. We have a problem here, right? But the interesting thing is Alberto's a soccer coach, and he started a soccer league on our soccer field. Now it's a soccer field. It used to be a softball field. It can be whatever kind of field God wants it to be, right? Use it, Lord. We had 300 Hispanics on our soccer field this spring. 300 Hispanics on our soccer field. Again, the elephant in the room is we don't speak Spanish. But God has also given us the directive to make disciples, hadn't he? So we got to figure this out. We started praying about it last uh, spring, I guess, or this, this past spring. Jerry made a phone call to one of the guys that he knew in Mississippi. He's a church planner. You may remember he was here with us uh, for a Sunday. His name is Elvis Garcia. Remember when Elvis was here and we did that bilingual service? He's a jovial guy, awesome guy. He's been church planning for three, uh, 13 years. He called, El- he called uh, Elvis, which, by the way, his name's Elvis, right? I mean, come on. So he calls Elvis and he says, Elvis, we. Well, I guess I'm just asking you to pray and I'm asking if there's Anybody that you know that would be interested in, I don't, and we don't even know, we don't have the money for a staff position. I mean, is there, I, we don't, I don't even know what I'm asking, I'm just wanting to know what your thoughts are. And Elvis said, I'm interested. And Jerry said, well, in, in what? We really don't have anything to give you. I'm just calling to, I mean, and Elvis said, listen, I've heard of what God is doing at South City, I want to be a part of it. Can I come and visit? That Sunday was a result of that phone call, okay? Okay. Um, well, I want to show you a little video and uh, give you some information and some news this morning. So let's watch this video and it'll give you a little bit more information on where I'm going here. Hi, my name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors at South City Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, you know, for Christians, the main thing for us, in fact, for churches in general, as believers is to make disciples. That is the very thing that Jesus said for us to be about. It's the most important thing that we can do. It is the why of mission. God is truly giving us the beautiful gift of becoming a multicultural church. The reality is though, we need your help. We're such a new church, we're basically a church plant, a replant, and we don't have a big budget for the type of numbers that we're seeing coming in. So we need you to pray about what it means for us as a church or for you as a a giver or a friend to help support the mission of God in Southwest Little Rock among Hispanics especially. Um, God has given us an amazing opportunity with a friend, Elvis Garcia. He loves the Lord, he's been a church planner for 13 years and he's feeling called to be a part of South City. He's feeling called to make disciples in Southwest Little Rock.
1: My name is Elvis Garcia, and uh, we have been uh, uh, living in the United States for the last 30 years as church planters and disciple makers, and uh, uh, we, we have, uh, have a great ministry uh, in the state of Mississippi, but that go back to our home country, Guatemala, when we started serving the Lord when I was 18 years, and we also be able to plant a church and, make uh, disciples there and we're excited about the opportunity to be part of uh, this uh, this uh, plan which is south city this uh, uh, reality which is south city church and uh, pray for us then uh, eh, eh, we can uh, help any way we can and uh, we would love to uh, serve here and be part of you so uh, eh, again pray for me and my family and thank you so much
0: that's where you come in. Is there anything that you can do? Maybe $50. It may be $5,000 to help us reach Hispanics in Southwest Little Rock. Would you help us do that? Just ask you to pray about it. If you feel like the Lord is in this and you feel like God is working, would you join him in that as we try to make a difference in the lives of people in Southwest Little Rock with South City Church. Thanks for your gift. Thanks for praying. Please continue to pray for us. God bless. As I told you, this ministry initiative is not in our budget. It's not represented in our budget. We just started a budget for July all the way around through June. This need is not represented in that budget. In fact, um, you know, we're praying in faith that God will help us to meet that budget. And you guys have done great. July was amazing. In the middle of the summer, we almost met budget in, in in July. It was amazing. Thank you. And we didn't feel like this is something we needed to adjust our budget We felt like maybe this is just something we needed to see if the body of Christ would help us raise. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put this video on social media starting today. And this is what we would just ask you to do. And this this is what it comes down to. This is a step of faith for us, okay? You remember when we did the why series, I said everything we do as a church, every penny we spend, ought to be filtered through the why of mission. Why do we exist as a church? To make what? Disciples. Disciples. And so I just held that up and said, Lord, we need to make disciples of these folks that are coming to our, to our property, to our, uh, they're part of our church in ways, how do we do that? And I just feel like this is what we need to do. So we're stepping in faith. And you know what, it's a little uncomfortable, I'll be honest with you. And I started thinking, you know, that's probably right about where we need to be. Uncomfortable enough to trust that if we can do this, we'll get to see God do what he does, which is make a way, and I know he wants us to make disciples, right? So this is what we would ask you to do. Continue to give of your tithes and offerings just like you've been doing. But if you can give to this need above and beyond that, we want you to do it. And how, This is how to do it. When you, see in the, uh, when you go online to give online, or you can write a check and put Elvis on it, whatever the case may be, there's a drop-down menu of different accounts that you can give to. You can actually give to the Elvis Project I wanted to call it something like Elvis lives or Elvis is now in the building. I couldn't come up with anything clever enough. But anyway, Elvis project. So, but you can give directly to that project, and we'll keep you updated on how we're doing on raising enough money. We're going to try and raise $50,000 to cover all the things that we need to invest in uh, the ministry to Hispanics in this area. So would you, would you pray about that and help us? Let me tell you, we're going to try and raise this money, and I'm excited because Elvis is going to be able to help us continue to become the multicultural church that we want to become in an incredible way. Occasionally, he'll teach. Occasionally, he'll do welcomes. Occasionally he'll be doing small groups. He'll be And you know, we didn't want to, I didn't want to give him this title that was for Hispanics because he's going to teach me. He's going to teach you. So his title is going to be uh, discipleship pastor. And our elders have invited him to be on staff with us, and he will be starting in the next couple of weeks. So let's step out in faith, can we? Let's step out in faith. All right, let's finish the message today. Acts 6 and verse 7, our last verse. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God and the number of disciples greatly increased. Now, how does the word of God increase? Well, I think it means they had more opportunities to teach the word But something that's even more interesting to me is as they began to teach the word, it it went into the lives of people. The word of God increased through the fruit of the people's lives. It's this beautiful mystery. God is expanding his church, and the word of God and the disciples increased. They couldn't even keep count. And so we don't hear of another number in, in, in Scripture Here's our third point and our last point. God blesses his mission, and he brings revival when we love and trust and serve. God blesses his mission and brings revival when we love, when we trust, and when we serve. You see, those that had a complaint, they had a, a legitimate complaint, the apostles They didn't say, yeah, we'll get to that at some point. There's 20,000 of us, man. Come on, it's going to happen sometimes. They didn't do that. They loved. They said, if one of us is hurting, then all of us are hurting. And they went right to the issue, and they made a change to bless their work, to give the word, and to bless the people that they're serving. They loved. They trusted. They trusted these men and gave them oversight of finances and food and everyday needs they trusted and then the men (laughs) the men who were called out those seven men you know what they did they didn't just say well I I didn't really want to do anything I just wanted to make a comment about right we don't see that there was an issue here a massive issue a complaint was raised and then you know what happens the people choose seven men and they step up and they serve We have to love. We have to deal with issues, whether it be prejudice or some other disruption that the enemy would bring against us. We have to deal with it in love. And I'll say this again, and I'll continue to say it. God created every one of us equally in the image of himself. To say that one people group, one race, one color is above another is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because God has created us equal in his image, in the beauty of his image. And anything contrary to that is evil and demonic. And so South City Church will always make sure that there is a a proclamation from who we are that says we will love all people. Right? We have to love, we have to trust, and we have to serve. And then the last phrase of the verse is this. And a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. Isn't that a funny phrase? And a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now don't you, I just looked at it and I said, wait a minute. Shouldn't priests already be obedient to the faith? But then I put it like this. What if we cha- traded that word priest for Christian? And it just said, and a great number of Christians became obedient to the faith. That doesn't sound as weird because how many of us know Christians that are not obedient to the faith? How many of us have been Christians that are not obedient to the faith, right? Listen, this is what I think happens. (laughs) I think when we love and we trust and we serve, I think when we're doing that from a place that is real and authentic. God will bring revival, and even the people, even leaders, even Christians, even pastors in communities, revival will start in you and in me, it'll start in your small group, it'll start in our church, It'll, it'll go to our community, to our city, and even the people who you thought all along were supposed to be obedient to the faith, actually will begin to trust and follow and serve Jesus with everything that they are. That's what revival does. I'm going to end this message this morning by saying this very very simply, very plainly. And I want you to hear me clearly today. We need your help. We need your help. We've got four teams that I want to bring to your attention. I've done it before and I'm going to do it again today. Four teams that, that we want you to know about, that we want you to serve on if you can. We have a welcome team. That welcomes you out there. They also help with the coffee in the morning. So that's a very important team. Coffee team is very important. Uh, they're all important. We have South City Kids that my wife Lori is leading. She needs help. Our kids are growing, right? We have over thirty kids that we're caring for now. It's awesome, but they need help. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, we need help. And then we have a security team that kind of watches over the property during our services and different events. And we have worship team, a worship team that serves on stage and off. We have people who are doing lyrics and lights and sound and video, and we need help in each of those positions. So if you ever see something not go perfectly right with a lyric or with a sound, then just come volunteer and help us get it better. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Help us get it better. This, This place is not going to get better watching. It's going to get better with you coming and helping make it better. Okay? So this is what I want to do. The title of this message this morning, and we're done, is All Hands on Deck. We need help. And the beautiful thing about this message is, um, this story, I should say, is the apostles knew when they needed help. They knew when they needed to step back and, and, and be able to do some things that are main things and invite others into leadership. And so that's what leadership does. So that's what we're asking you to do. We need help to fulfill the mission of Jesus in Southwest Little Rock. We need Elvis to uh, make disciples and help us become a more multicultural church. We need you to help get intentional about how you give, what you give, and how you serve. And this is my last phrase. We need you to join us. We need you to partner with us. We need you to serve with us. And together, I promise you, together we're seeing the Lord. Do what he did then, which is move. It's not something any of us can do. He does it. We join him in his work. We join him in his mission, in his movement. We just have to respond. Lord, I'll go. Lord, I'll I'll do what you want me to do. I'm not sure where you are in your life, but I'll just go back to the first question I asked you this, this morning. Do you know the role that God has for you? Do you know what it is, how, you, how you're to give back to the body of Christ and back to the community? Is there a place that you can serve and love and give and watch what God does in us and around us? Well, this is how we're going to close this morning. I'm going to ask the leaders of those teams to come up. So Lori, South City Kids, Don Dietz for our security team, uh, George Benham, McKenna Adcock, come up and stand with George. Um, And Daryl, come up for the worship team. And you guys, we have these sign-up sheets down here. So grab those, each of you, if you would. Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to sing a song to leave today. Instead, uh, Paul, who, listen, aren't you thankful for Paul? He serves us every week tirelessly. And Delis, I'm not sure who's over there on the lyrics, but I think Paul's doing double duty. Yeah, way to go. So, we're thankful for them. He's going to play a song for us, and we're going to be dismissed in just a second. This is what I want you to do after I pray. Would you get intentional today? This is what I mean. Just because you put your name on one of these lists doesn't mean we're going to plug you into running sound next week. I don't know how to run sound. It doesn't mean, what it does mean is that we know that you're now into the conversation, right? It doesn't mean that you, you do want to be involved in some way, and you're willing to let us help you, train you, teach you. Serve on a team. So I'm going to pray for us. And don't everybody knock them over as you run up here. But go ahead and come on up here, okay? And let's serve. Let's join God in the mission he has for South City Church in Southwest Little Rock to make disciples. We need your help. Would you help us? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your movement. It's not a man's movement. It's not men's ideas. God, you are at work, and you are moving among us. God, would you give us the strength of character and courage in our hearts to join you in that work for something that is bigger than us. Lord, there are leaders. There are servants in this congregation that have not plugged into one of these ministries, and we need them. So, God, would you you place on their hearts where to serve, how to serve, and then would you help them to know we're going to be sensitive to not overwhelm their lives (laughs) serving in kids or in worship. We're going to care for them and care for their souls, but we're also going to ask them to step up, and we're going to challenge them to do more for your kingdom, for your church, and for the mission that you have us on here together at South City Church. God, I pray for our country. I pray for the Big C Church, that we be united by the blood of Jesus and reminded that we are equal and one in your beautiful image. And may we be about bringing peace to this world and joining you in this mission to make you known in this church, in this community, in this city for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. Come on up. Have a good Sunday.